if you have a if you have a Bible with you, you can uh, open your Bible with me to the book of Luke. We're going to look together at Luke chapter two, verses twenty-one through thirty-five. And if you uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles underneath a chair around you. There, you can pull one out and turn to page one thousand and fifteen. The words of this passage will also be up on the screen if you would like to look there. If you are a little new to our fellowship, you may not be aware that we've been looking this month, the whole month of December, at the story of the birth of Christ. We've primarily used the book of Matthew, and each week we've gone through a series that I've entitled, God Came Near. The focus of our study this month has been Christmas and our struggles. The point being that many people know the Christmas story, but how many of us really apply the Christmas story to our everyday problems? And so we've been looking for the last several weeks at several of the problems that face people and how the story of the birth of Jesus relates to those struggles. So today we're going to go one step further, and I'll finish the series tomorrow morning if you come uh, for our service in the morning. So I'd like to read for you then Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 21 and reading through verse 35. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, and that's Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name that the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time for their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took the baby Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the Bible. Thank you that you have given to us this inspired record of your self-revelation. And we pray tonight that as we look at this story of Simeon, that it wouldn't just remain a story about Simeon, but that it might drive us all to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us, we pray tonight, we pray, a deeper glimpse of our Savior. And we pray this in His name. Amen. 
Well, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Some of you here tonight are probably waiting to get back home so you can open up one of those presents that's been sitting under your tree for the past couple of weeks. Maybe some of you are waiting to see the headlights coming into your driveway and it's a car containing your kids and your grandkids that you haven't seen for a while. Or maybe some of you are waiting on a call from a friend or a relative from overseas. What are you waiting for? You know, waiting is one of the great themes of the Bible. If you read through the Bible, you find story after story about somebody who had to wait. Um, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Job, many of the prophets of the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul, and more. All people who waited. And our story this evening is about another man who had to wait. His name is Simeon. We know nothing about Simeon other than what's given to us right here in Luke chapter 2. He's not mentioned anywhere else. One tradition says that Simeon was 113 years old here in Luke 2. There's no way to know that, and I'm not sure that that was true, but certainly he was an old man, and Simeon had been waiting a long time. He was waiting, it says in verse 25, for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation means comfort or encouragement. The consolation of Israel was a person. It was the Messiah, the one promised in the Old Testament, who was to come and redeem his people. God had told Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, it had been 400 years since the people of Israel had heard from God. God's last words had been given to them through the prophet Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, some 400 years prior to the days of Simeon. 400 years. No word from God. Can you imagine that? I mean, I get impatient if I haven't heard from my kids after a few days go by. God hadn't called in for four centuries Simeon was one of a handful of devout people who were wishing and praying and hoping that God would show up again. But every day what Simeon would do is walk down to the temple, look around inside the temple courts and ask one of the priests, has he come yet? Has the Messiah arrived? And the priest would simply shake his head and reply, no, Simeon, no, not today. Going back home. It was a first century version of don't call us, we'll call you kind of thing. And I wondered about this as I thought about it this week. Do any of you feel that way? Like you're waiting on God to show his face? Waiting for consolation? For some kind of encouragement, some kind of comfort in your life? I suspect that for some of you, God seems very far away. And you're waiting on God to prove that He exists. That He knows you. That He sees your situation. That He cares about it. I wonder if others of you in the room tonight are waiting on an answer to prayer. Maybe waiting for wounds in your heart to heal. 
waiting for somebody finally to come into your life who says, I love you and really means it. Waiting for an addiction to stop being an addiction. For a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter to come back home to the faith maybe. Or for a season of joy to come your way. Maybe you're just waiting on a miracle. A healing perhaps. Well, some of you have been waiting that way for a long time. You're wondering, I suspect, if I can put words in your mind, why does God feel so distant? It seems that He either doesn't know about my situation or He doesn't care. And that's a really disturbing thought. So what do you do about it? What do you do about it when you feel like you're in sort of the waiting room of life? Waiting for God to show up. Well, if Simeon were here, and in a way he is on the pages of Scripture, if Simeon were here talking to you tonight, I think he would tell you to do three things. I think he would say to look back, to look inside, and to look forward. So let's take those three ideas and look at them one by one. The first thing I think Simeon would say to you if you are feeling that you're waiting on God, that he's distant, that you're wondering when he's going to show up, I think what Simeon would say first is look back. Look back to what God did already 2,000 years ago. Because you see, Christmas that we're celebrating is not really about Santa Claus. I don't know if you knew that, but if I, if I break the news to you tonight, Christmas is not really about Santa Claus and trees and gifts and parties. Now, all those things are really good. Nobody likes them more than me. They're fun, but Christmas is about the coming of God into this dark world in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And verse 30, Simeon knows that because he says there, At last, at last I can die now. I'm ready to go because my eyes have seen your salvation. See, here's this old guy, Simeon. You you got the story already. Day after day, month after month, year after year, Simeon comes to the temple looking for the Messiah. And now on this particular day, he's walking around inside the temple and he sees these two shy teenagers. They're named Joseph and Mary. And they're holding this six-week-old baby boy. They had come to Jerusalem from Bethlehem because it was required by Jewish law that every firstborn male should be dedicated to the Lord and also that the mother be purified after giving birth. So that's what brought them there to the temple. And Simeon knows immediately when he sees them because God enabled him to believe this. When he sees them, he knows immediately that that's the person. That's the one. That little baby boy is the Messiah, the one promised long ago the one he's been waiting for. And he takes the baby Jesus in his arms and he says there, Lord, I'm ready to go. The Savior is here. Savior. Think of that word, Savior. See, God has shown up. He did show up when we needed him most. God came. He came near. God saw you and me in our sin and in our misery. And he didn't give up on us. He didn't let us go. He saved us. The Hebrew name for Jesus, from which Jesus comes, Yeshua. It means God saves. The Lord saves. God came to our rescue. You and I were sinking, drowning in sin and misery. 
We had no hope whatsoever of saving ourselves, but God saw us and He sent His Son to die for us, to die in our place. Another way to look at it is to think of us as lawbreakers, sentenced to death. We were on death row because we had broken all of the Ten Commandments multiple times and were under God's wrath. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, so we deserve to die. But rather than let us die and be separated from Him forever, God stepped into time and into space and died in our place. Folks, this really happened. This is not a myth. It's not a legend. Jesus, the God-man, was born in the manger of Bethlehem. Proof positive that you matter to Him. If you ever wondered if you mattered to God, if He knew you, if He cared about you, if He saw your situation, you need look no further than the incarnation. It's proof positive that you matter to God. Because He came. You're loved by God. You're accepted by God. Not on the basis of the things you do for God, but on the basis of what He's done for you in His Son, Jesus Christ. So, so if you feel like God is far away tonight, the first thing Simeon would say to you is, Look back. Look behind you. Look back in time to the manger of Bethlehem. Look in, back in time to the cross of Calvary and listen to what they are saying. They're saying, they're shouting, they're screaming at you. I love you. I love you. I love you. So look back. Secondly, to you who are waiting for God to show up. I think Simeon would say to look inside. Now follow me on this one. In verses 34 to 35, Simeon says something that is very ominous to Joseph and to Mary. He's holding Jesus in his arms and he says in verse 34, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. He's going to be, in other words, a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now here's what Simeon is saying there. He's saying that Jesus is the great hinge of history. He is the pivot point for all humanity. That is, Jesus Christ divides the human race into two groups. Those who love and follow after Jesus on the one hand and those who reject Jesus on the other. There's really only two categories. The falling and the rising, it says there in verse 34 and 35. And your attitude toward Jesus Christ determines your eternal destiny. That's a heavy message, isn't it? It's a bit like that climactic scene in The Return of the Jedi where Luke Skywalker has to decide whether he's going to turn to the dark side or stay faithful to the rebel alliance. Or it's kind of like the movie The Matrix, one of my favorites, where Neo is choosing between the blue pill and the red pill. And only the red pill will take him down the rabbit hole and out of the matrix. See, it's just like that with Jesus. You have a choice and your decision, one way or the other, sets the trajectory of your life, both in this world and the next. See, this whole topic, 
if I could clarify, this whole topic about God seeming far away raises a far deeper question. And I would ask you to be bold and courageous enough to ask yourself this question because it's going to drive you there. Who is it you're looking for? See, we say, where is God? I'm waiting for him to show up. Well, what kind of God? Who is it you're waiting for? Are you looking for a Santa Claus type of God? Or a genie in the bottle type of God who says, your wish is my command? Or are you looking for the one that Simeon calls in verse 29, the sovereign Lord? It's a big question. See, God never promised to show up in a Santa suit. He never said that if you choose to follow after him, you're going to be in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time. In fact, the opposite is true because Simeon promises in verse 34 that if you throw your lot in with Jesus, you're going to face opposition and hardship. He even tells Mary at the end of our text, verse 35, that a sword is going to pierce her own soul someday. A clear reference to the day some 33 years after this when Jesus would be nailed to a cross and Mary, his mother, would be watching. A soul was going to pierce. A sword was going to pierce her own soul. So what I think the Bible is calling us to do and to do honestly is to look inside. And I would just simply ask you, can you honestly say tonight, that you have stopped being your own Lord and Savior, doing your own thing, following your own will, your own plans and your own dreams, and that you have said a decisive yes to Jesus Christ. It must happen sooner or later, friend. You must say that decisive yes, Jesus, not my will but yours be done. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you lead, wherever it takes me. Yes, Jesus, I need my sins to be forgiven. And I believe that you are the one, you're the only one who died in my place and can take them away. So take my life, Lord, and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That's what I mean when I say you must choose. If not... Don't gamble with time. Don't gamble with time. And and also, don't be dishonest. Because like in verse 35, it says that Jesus knows what's in your heart. So I would ask you, how much longer are you going to hold out? How much longer will you delay this decision? How long will you keep trying to find life and joy and meaning and purpose and validation in your work or success or beauty or friendship or family or pleasure or the pursuit of your own dreams and goals? So on this Christmas Eve, I think what Jesus is doing is he's offering you true life through this passage of Scripture. He's saying... I'm the light that you need in this dark world. I'm the one who causes the falling of some and the rising of others. Which group will you be in? See, it's that important. The falling of some, the rising of others. Which group will it be for you? Often I've told people that joining God's family is a matter of A, B, and C. It's that simple. A stands for admit. Admit your need of a Savior. Admit that you've sinned, that you've goofed up, you've fallen 
prey to mistakes and problems and, and you can't handle life on your own. Just admit that you've done that. B stands for believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners just like you. And then C, commit. Commit your life to Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm a broken, messed up person, but I, as best I know how, am committing my life and giving my life away to you. I want to follow you. I need your help every minute of every day, but I'm committing my life to you. A, B, C. If you've never done that, will you do it tonight? Will you make this Christmas of 2011 be the time in which you went with Jesus? You've made a decisive commitment. If you've never done it before, do it tonight. That's what I mean by look inside. If you have said yes to Jesus Christ, then I have one more word for you who are waiting for consolation. And that's look forward. Look forward. Look forward to the second advent of Jesus. We're celebrating the first advent. That's what Christmas is. Look forward, believers, to the second advent, the return of Christ. I love that word waiting in verse 25. Simeon, it says, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The word there, waiting, is not a passive kind of waiting, like when you're waiting for the light to change. You can't do anything about that. You just sit there, right? It's not like the kind of waiting you do when you're waiting in line at Walmart, God forbid. No, it's not that kind of waiting. It's an active, eager kind of waiting. It's like how you can't wait to get home tonight and open that package that you've been looking at under the tree. Or how you're waiting on that promotion that your boss promised you some time back. Or how you're waiting to see that car pull up in your driveway because you know inside that car are people you love. It's, it, it's that kind of active, eager, standing on tiptoes, can't wait kind of waiting that you're supposed to have about Jesus' second coming. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it says that the return of Jesus is our blessed hope. Paul says to Titus, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's not a passive kind of waiting, like, it's, it's an active kind of eager, I can't wait to see my Savior. See, the same Savior that rested in the arms of Simeon is coming again. It, it might be tomorrow. It may be millennia from now. But when Jesus comes, he's going to bring complete redemption with him. And if you're trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you're going to be with Jesus forever upon the new earth, a place where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away and Jesus will have made all things new. There's a line in this song many of you know, Oh Holy Night, you know that hymn, that Christmas carol, Oh Holy Night? There's a line in there that says, Yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. He's from the south. Yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. So for all of you who are like Simeon, waiting, you're in the waiting room of life. It's not easy. It's really hard, actually, waiting for God to show up. Simeon would say, look back. Jesus is born. 
Look inside. Make sure you're His. And look forward because He's coming again. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that You are real. You are true. Your birth is history. You are alive. And one day You're coming again. Lord, sometimes life in this world is so agonizing. Sometimes it's so daily. Sometimes it is so hard. And there are people in this room tonight that know that very, very well. Lord, would you enable us by grace to look back upon that wonderful, wonderful day in which you were born, in which you came, you came to us. Help us look inside, Lord, if there's someone here tonight who looks inside and honestly says, I don't know. I don't know if I'm in the family or not. I don't know if I'm falling or rising. Lord, perhaps that person would want to say an honest prayer with me right now. And if you are such a person, I would encourage you to just say this prayer silently right after me and mean it with all your heart. Lord, I am a sinner. I admit it. I admit my need of a Savior. I can't save myself. I'm too broken. So, Lord, I believe that you died for me. You came for me. You took my sins upon yourself. And I believe that. And I give myself away. I'm an offering. I offer myself to you tonight. Lord, thank you that you receive people like us into your family. People who don't have it all together. And so, shine your light in us and through us to a world that is dark and needy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.